Hi, this is Max Mason. Welcome to Path to the Podium. Hey, Andre, welcome to Path to the Podium. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to have you on here, and let's let's get straight into it and go to where your kind of start in motorsport was as as a driver, or were you straight into the media side of motorsport? I think I have to go back way way earlier because I was some kind born a motorsport maniac because my father already visited oval racing tracks in the Netherlands when I was young, and I think the first time I was at a racetrack and I can really remember it was when I was about three years old. We were at Balo. It was a one kilometer oval close to the Dutch border that was closed in the late 90s, unfortunately. But that was the start for me. I was there. Yeah, I I, I felt motorsport with all the senses. I saw the cars racing. I hear I heard the noise. I smelled the gasoline. It was amazing to grow up on a track like this. Later, when I was a little bit older, we in the beginning a small 400 meter track and later became a 1.5 oval with a 400 meter track inside. And yeah, there I started to work some kind in media because when it's a time I think you don't remember because I grew up without the internet. So in the early 2000s, it started to, we we saw people starting, let's say hobby websites and stuff like this. And when I was 14 years old, 13 years old, my dad gave me a camera, a digital camera, and I started to taking photos. And there was a guy called Frank from Germany. He had an interesting oval racing website, and he was giving me space to showcase my pictures. And I was just a teenager back then. In 2006, I think, I joined a racing team, and I was somehow a mechanic i had no idea what i'm doing but they gave me the chance to work on a touring car that was racing in ovals and also there i was able to yeah somehow develop my skills um, as a photographer and i helped them then social media went yeah to the sky everything changed on the internet and in 2014 i was doing my bachelor degrees in economics back then I started leadlab.de. It's just a hobby website. Still it is. And I was starting covering oval racing, stock car racing around Europe and also the NASCAR wheel and Euro series. So I was never a driver. My family had never the, the money to or the budget to put me in a car. And even later on, I never thought about doing a racing career or becoming a race car driver. And I never even wanted to be in the media um, as well. I studied economics. I thought my path would lead me into a company analyzing data and stuff like this. But as a hobby, and I saw nobody in Europe covering oval racing and stock car racing. So I started this website. And yeah, it was a kickstart to my career in media. Awesome. And then how did your kind of connection with with uh, the Nazca Wheel and Euro series kind of come about? Obviously, you were saying that you kind of started with as like a hobby journalist to the series where you just follow it. Where did you kind of get a more insider um, job with the with the series? Oh, that's also uh, some kind of interesting because when I was a kid, we went to the Oval Racing. My dad always allowed me to stay a little bit longer awake on Sundays when there was the Champ Car Series, the IndyCar Series uh, back then, also the um, Indy Racing League or NASCAR Series. So in the 90s, I was watching already NASCAR on national television in Germany. And therefore, I was a big fan since I'm a little kid. In 2000, let me think around 10, 11, I stumbled about the 
back then race car series. And I saw the cars looked like American NASCAR cars, new from the US. So I was following the website and saw what they did. And at some point, my now boss, the PR boss of um, NASCAR when your series started live streaming the whole series, but they had only one camera and it was Gianluca operating the camera and also commentating the races um, at once. So it and watch it and try to, to follow all the stories behind it. And in 2015, the NASCAR when your series visited Raceway Venray and it was the track I grew up at. So I was really happy and I already had leadlab.de started. So I got in touch with Gianluca, the PR boss from Italy, and we started talking. I get got the permission, my own interviews. It was all just amateur stuff at the beginning. But then, um, of course, we connected. And in 2017, we were at Venray again. We talked in the evening and then two or one or two months later, we were at the Hockenheim Ring in Germany. And then he asked me, do you want to join? And I also visited the testing days back in Franciacorte in Italy at the beginning of 2017. So he saw that I was really passionate for the series and I tried to grow. Um, I also already made the decision to join the media and become a freelancer. So in 2016, somebody, a commentator from Germany who's doing He saw what I did at LeadLab. He gave me the chip.com Germany in the German edition. And in 2017, I also did my first race as a commentator on German television in the NASCAR Cup Series. And Gianluca knew me. He saw my development. He followed it. And at the right time, right place, somebody left. A US guy greets to Kevin, who was amazing. But his space was free. And yeah, I took it. And then we started growing the series, grow our own ideas and improve, improve every time every race day, every weekend. And now we're here with a multi-camera broadcast. We have an amazing commentators. We have um, a great team to work to get the word spread that we have a NASCAR wheel and Euro series in Europe, stock car racing. And it's so much fun to work in this series with all the guys. Awesome. And like, walk me through the kind of progression from 2017 to now 2023 in this kind of six-year span. How was that progression? Oh, that's interesting. I, I joined as a, let's say, Padawan in Star Wars terms. We had uh, two Italian guys, Gianluca and Max. Back then, they taught me everything I needed to know, how to write the PRs, um, how to select photos, what to do on the live streaming. In the beginning, I was even commentating in English with Gianluca. Then we found Mark Verrill, a very, very good commentator from the UK, who was now replaced by Adam Weller. Um, we started being very late um, <laughs> at the race weekends in bed because we had so much stuff to do. But right now we're improving by getting more manpower. We have new guys in the team joining us, even a very, very nice editor from Indonesia who started also, like me, a hobby website, World of Euro NASCAR. He's jo he joined us already. We have a guy for graphics and social media. We have amazing photographers. And yeah, we just uh, looked at the whole package we had and we started to think about how to improve, where to get more efficiency in, what can we do better, what can we improve to make the series look better on the outside. And 
yeah, in the end, all our thoughts and we made it happen. We, we, we just not talk. We just didn't talk about it. Just about that. We really did it. This is what the, what the thing every time in, in winter, we looked through all what we did, where to improve, what to do. And we were able to, um, reduce the time we have to, to spend on the track to make the basic, basic things happen. Therefore, we had a lot of time to do extra things. We improved the the um, broadcast with, with our partners there. We have amazing contents there as well. We improved the highlights, the shows we had, the social media things. Of course, we observed trends. What can we do? Um, and also observing what are other series doing. But the nice thing in Europe, Euronesca is somehow unique because... We focus not only on the racing. We have a very nice event around the races for the whole family with a lot of people joining us. And I think this is something we really have to build on. We we need to be different than the other series. We have to bring the American and the pure racing spirit to Europe. And therefore, we just try to think outside of the box and always find new ways. Um, on the other side, of course, we're still lacking a little bit of manpower here and there. And therefore... Um, yeah, we, we need to really focus on the very important things and be very, very efficient. And this is the way we, Gianluca and I, and also the whole team, we were, we, we are big friends. We are like a big family and therefore everybody is willing to do the extra mile to have a nice product. And this is somehow also unique. We, we don't see the, we're really there because we love the series. We love NASCAR and all of us are really big fans of it. And how would you say the audience numbers have changed from when you first started in your NASCAR to what it is today? I don't have the numbers right now in front of me. There are numbers uh, for sure, but let's say around 400% more on every, on every medium we have. If it's social media, YouTube, wherever, at least 400% back 2017, 18 to now. We really improved a lot. There's so many, there are so many people still when they discovered, I didn't know that it exists. But more and more people are enjoying the pure racing of Euronesca. And we see that the numbers are growing and growing and growing. And there's not even, the, the curve is not getting, um, yeah, let's say flatter. It's getting steeper and steeper. So we see that we have a, we see that we have a product that people like and that people like it and enjoy it at the track and also on the live streaming. So Social media-wise, YouTube-wise, and also spectators at the track, we are really happy with the numbers, and they are. And let's, I, I don't. I said I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but let's say mm, around four hundred percent. Yeah, that's a crazy improvement. When most series during that time were kind of getting less and less popular in motorsport, you were just massively growing. So, what do you think the the key elements of Euronesca meant that during that time, from let's say you know, 2017 to 2023 now, where motorsport has kind of gone through a massive shift in what it used to be, because obviously Formula One kind of had a massive slump in 2017 in that kind of that era. What, what Did mm -hmm. you kind of maximize the potential during those eras rather than sticking to what was always tried and trusted? Was it something you experimented new stuff with or what was the, what kind of led you to have this massive expansion? That's an interesting question because... Of course, it's not always easy to really find um, the the key elements, uh, what really had a positive impact, what had a negative impact. But I think 
that we state some kind of human and based on the grounds, we are really open to everybody. And this is, I think, the most important thing when you go to an event. People went home and they told everyone about, I was able to join the garage. I met dozens, was able to join the grid. I was able to touch the cars. Then you have, of course, those incredible cars, no electronic aids. They are really old school. You have to wrestle them around. It looks fantastic at the track. We have amazing battles. And therefore, the product on the track and off the track, I think this combined is the reason why people stick to Uranesca. A lot of people, they come to our events and afterwards say, it was amazing. I took even a tire with me or half of a car. If there is a crash, bring a door, a front bumper, back bumper, the teams give it away, signed by the drivers. And I think this openness and... The, there's, there are no barriers within the paddock. You can meet your stars, even big names like, and this is also another thing, we had Bobby Labonte, a 2000 Cup Series champion. We had a Formula One champion, Jacques Villeneuve, three years with us. And now with Alberto Nasca and Euronasca too, a very popular content creator from Italy. Those are just a few names of a lot of popular people that discovered Euronasca from a driver's side. Of course, they bring their audience, but I think that we are we make it fun. We don't try to be clean at some point. We we know that our cars are fantastic. We try to put the personalities of the drivers in in the spotlight. We don't want them to be PR machines. We want them to be who they are. And I think this is the the thing that people really like about Euronasca. You have a nice event with American-themed festivals, amazing racing, and they can relate to the drivers we have because we let them be who they are. And this is, in my opinion, the reason why NASCAR in Europe is so successful. Yeah, I mean, the way I found NASCAR as a driver is also pretty crazy. Is You know, I was a big fan of Alberto NASCAR for, you know, I think a year before he started in Euronasca. And then all of a sudden I see this video about Euronasca. I was like, oh, that looks interesting. And then I put a bit of thought into it. And then we basically contacted the series and everything. So that's kind of how I ended up driving in your NASCAR was literally just from a YouTube video. Can I ask you one question about you're coming from Australia and the NASCAR, the US NASCAR, how is it? How do you view it there? Is it is it on national television? And how is it in the media there? It's I don't know, but I'm pretty sure it's basically nowhere. It's, it's, I mean, in Australia, motorsports is very, you know, limited, like in Europe from like 2014 to 2017, if you think about F1, where basically you had to sell an arm and a leg to just watch it on television almost because they were kind of trying to keep it to themselves. Like, and in Australia, that happens a lot where they, if you're at like a supercars event, for instance, I'm pretty sure you're not allowed to take pictures and put that on social media and anything without tagging supercars and Fox TV. It's like something crazy where you had to like, and like Fox TV had all the rights for the series. So people weren't allowed to take photos and post them online. So that kind of killed racing in Australia, unfortunately. But yeah, I mean, US NASCAR, everyone knows about it, but I don't think anyone actually knows where to actually watch it okay interesting because uh, shane van gisbergen is going to be at the i thought this may be yeah <laughs> yeah i mean they had it like they had what you guys like the uh, the euro series have now in during the 90s they had um oscar they called it which was where basically nascar sponsored australia to run nascar in like australia so like what you guys do now essentially but it was very mismanaged so it kind of just collapsed after a few years 
And that's why I think that's why the opening for Euronesca happened is because it collapsed in Australia. Yeah. Okay. I th- yeah, it was it was something like that. I was talking to a few guys that that knew about it and had and had a few drivers that raced in it, and it basically just fell apart because everyone was trying to get more money. Interesting. Okay, never knew about that story, but yeah, let's see because NASCAR I think is a very very nice type of motorsports because it's more about the show, it's more about the personalities, it's not about the pure technical aspect of a race car. Um, you can wrestle those cars around. It's fun to watch them. We have incredible racing with those door-to-door handle battles. And it's even more than that because people really relate to the to the drivers there. Um, even my, I, I was sitting here in my office and I have a piece of Juan Pablo Montoya's car from 2012 above me, Nelson Piquet Jr., some other um, parts of crash cars. I have my things when I first visited the US, Daytona 500 in 2018. I have my die cars models from IndyCar, NASCAR, everywhere around here. And even a piece of a Euro NASCAR car from, let's, I have to think about 2016 or 2017 from a Pika Car Sport Chevrolet. So I, I even if I'm working like the, uh, in, in this kind of uh, media, um, Bronx, you know, I'm a journalist, I'm a commentator, I'm an editor, but still I'm a big, big racing fan. And I'm watching a lot of racing all week long, but NASCAR, the US racing style is what really attracts me. This is what really is in my heart and that's my passion. And therefore, and this is the nice thing, we all pulling the same strings in the Euro NASCAR. We are not there to make business. We are there because we love the sport. Yeah, I mean, it's just crazy to like, when we were doing the signings at Brands Hatch, the the pit lane thing, some like there was like a group of guys that brought over it, like a brake disc and a clutch disc over to get it signed. My first question was, where do they get this from? But then it's just because, <laughs> and they just basically just said, "Oh yeah, can you sign my brake disc?" I'm like, like because then they pulled it out. I was like, what? Like they just brought a random um, brake disc. I think they took it from uh, the, one of the garages. Like, oh, we've got a brake disc. Do you want it? And so they got that signed by all the drivers there. So. I mean, it's just so cool to be able to see that. I mean, you don't see that in Formula One. You wouldn't see a guy take a front wing and say, oh, can you come sign this for me? Um, which, I, which yeah. I, I mean, I've, obviously the price difference is pretty big, but I think it's just awesome for the fans to be able to interact with the cars. And where the, it's like you were saying, is drivers are very similar to the fans because it's not like we're kept up in like this little cage until they release us for the races. As you know, we're walking around the paddock with everyone they come into our paddock, they can come into our garages and say hello. And it's just, there's no real barrier between fan and driver. It's where, you know, the only barrier would be on the circuit. But, you know, that's for safety reasons, obviously. But, I mean, during everything else, all the fans can interact with, you know, every single driver. And I find that super awesome. And it's, compared to different motorsports, it's so much more raw and, like, everything's just about the fans rather than making out the drivers to be some superhuman aliens. Um, yeah. You know, they just, it's just a big community, a big family environment. And that's what I really like about Euronesca. That's definitely my favorite part. Definitely. And this, uh, the cool thing is in the US, NASCAR is the most popular motorsports. So it's even way above Formula One at the moment when you look at the numbers and TV and also attendance at the track. But if you go to a U.S. NASCAR racing event, you still have this kind of spirit. Of course, those are the top stars. They have to be a little bit more protected than in Euro NASCAR. But basically, still, the fans can have the access 
to meet their stars, to meet their idols. And they are really, really open. They go to the campgrounds, they meet the fans, they sign stuff, they talk to you. Even I, when I was there in 2018, I was talking to Ryan Blaney, for example, and I wanted to ask him, of course, questions because I'm the journalist. But in the end, when I told him I'm from Germany and I just came to the US to watch a NASCAR race, he turned it around and he was more interested in why I'm so into NASCAR that I was able to to ask him any questions. So even the drivers there, they are not looking to you from above. They are really on the same level. They love interacting with the fans. And you also saw that in Brands Hatch, we had the US NASCAR delegation there with Ben Kennedy, IMSA president, uh, John Doonan. We had Chet Siegler there from the international group, uh, uh, Jimmy Small and all the others. So the US guys, they are watching us. They are watching exactly what we're doing and they are trying with us together to improve the product. And I think this is very a very interesting thing. NASCAR as a North American US-only motorsports thing, they are expanding everywhere with the NASCAR Brazil series, with the Canadian, Mexican, and Euro series. And yeah, we make something a little bit different than other, other racing series. And this is, I think, the reason why we are so popular and we bring 10,000 of fans to the track because... Yeah, it's something you can... You, you go home and you have a big smile on your face. You tell it to all your friends. And next time you walk with them to the racetrack and it's five more, you know? It's um, it's really, really rare that somebody is disappointed. Yeah, I mean, even as as drivers, like when I went there with both my parents, they were so impressed by the event and everything. Obviously, they're kind of forced to come with me to all the races, but... You know, they were just, it, it, they were, you know, shocked by how, how crazy everything was, all the show, everything. So, um, yeah, like, like you were saying with Ryan Blaney as well, it's like usually when I met or people find out who, like, if they're like, oh, you're Max Mason, right? And then, then they end up asking me like a hundred questions about coming from Australia and everything. So it's always very funny. And it was funny because I met another Australian guy because he was there with, next to my car. And um, I, because I, I recognized his accent. I'm like, you're Australian, aren't you? And he said, yeah. Um, so we had a nice chat about Australia. So yeah, it was, it's, yeah, wherever you go, there's always someone with something interesting to say. There's always someone that has, has something questions to ask. And I, you know, I enjoyed that a lot as a driver because in other motorsports, it gets pretty boring. You're kind of there with your team, you look at data and then you kind of just wait for the next race with this, you know, you're going to, uh, um, like, you know, the driver introductions or you're walking over to a signing thing. So you're always going and doing something which is, is good rather than just sitting in, you know, on a tire in your garage, just waiting to go out on track. So, uh, you know, that's another reason I picked this series is because there's so much media around it, you know, for something that is comparatively to other motorsports is very cheap to race in. You get all this media attention and there's less issues when it comes to racing the cars because there's about three things that move on the cars. With, with Formula cars, there's four parts that control you know each screw so it's a lot more of just a racing car rather than like a spaceship that is interesting because every time people always ask me what is it like to drive one of those cars i was not lucky in my life to drive a uranesca car yet very important yet but i was sitting in a late model doing some oval laps in venray with 50, 25 degrees of banking and this car is somehow in this category, let's say. But when you are in the car, 
with the H pattern gear shift V8 engine, this must be just awesome to wrestle those cars around the track. And you see all the time you can battle so intense with those cars. Except one thing, maybe the tire management. That's kind of different uh, or um, also some kind of difficult, right? Yeah, at Valencia, it was a real it was a real pain because it's a, a motorbike track. So they have like what is called a granite track. So it's a really grippy circuit. Obviously, for motorbikes, you're going to have want the grippiest surface you can have. But for Euro NASCARs, especially when it's hotter than like 15 degrees, you really, really burn your tires. Um so, but I mean, like, the, it's, yeah, it's so weird with the Nazca because the tires work, like, instantly, even though they're, like, a really hard compound, but then they also get overheated, even though they're a hard compound. So it's, like, this weird, like, balancing act and everything, but I love it so much. I mean, the cars are so much fun to drive. I mean, in Australia, I drove Formula Fords, and it has the exact same gearbox as a Euro Nazca, which is just crazy, like, 100 horsepower compared to 400 with a V8. So, um I mean, it was pre it wasn't too foreign to me, but yeah, it's just especially around Brands Hatch. I must say, it's one of the craziest circuits that I've driven, and especially with the NASCAR, it's just wrestling around everywhere, especially in the wet. That was loads of fun. But I have to be honest; I'm a little bit jealous when I watch Australian racing. You have amazing tracks over there. I'm watching the supercars, of course, and also the Trans Am Australia. I really like this series, um, just as a racing fan, because they are so intense battles as well but i like your tracks over there because they are so natural so pure no asphalt around it it's there's a barrier there's grass or there's gravel i love the australian tracks to be honest yeah i mean they're all like that and it's funny because everyone's like oh yeah no all your australian tracks they're all got like this old school feel but most of the main tracks like eastern they were like built during like the 80s or 90s which isn't that old school compared to england where they were all built like like almost in the 1800s um so it's pretty funny like everyone's like i was talking to eastern creek they're like oh you know that sounds such a pure old school track i'm like it was like open in the 90s or something so um they just built it like that I, like i don't I'm, i'm pretty sure i heard this from someone where they basically were just saying they were going to add runoff but it ended up being more too expensive so they just didn't so that, that's <laughs> like and it, it like but like there's some like mount panorama absolutely insane circuit it's like the opposite of brands hatch instead of getting like the feeling that you're being squashed in brands if uh, in um bathurst it's gonna it feels like you're about to take off in a plane it's so crazy um eastern creek you might know from supercars that's one of yep. my favorite circuits that first corner there is absolutely insane um it's like completely flat but in, like it's it's flat out in most cars but it's just oh. the circuits there they're pretty good they're pretty good i must say But Brands Hatch is also amazing. It's like a roller coaster. I just did the track walk. Like I said, I've never been, I've never driven on a road course, to be honest, a, a race car. I was able to drive a Formula BMW on a small oval and the late model on a bigger oval. But um, when you just walk around the track, it's so many meters you make up and down. Um, you see that the track is quite narrow and you don't have even a single straight in it. Every, everything is a little bit turned, you know, a little bit twisty. Even the start-finish straight, it's a long right-hander. And if you go to the um, Cooper straight, it's also a little bit of a left-hander. I think this must be very tough. You see six corners, six turns, you think that must be easy. But I think this is one of the most challenging tracks we have on the calendar. Yeah, I mean, the, the worst part is because you're always turning. You're, you get like this burn 
at the top of your arms because it's like holding like a really light weight, but like holding it for a long time. So it starts to burn. There. That's the funniest part. But the, the the scariest part was in the wet during that race. The the main straight we had to lift off before that like kink that goes to the right like the uh, onto the main straight because there was so much rubber there that it would be it was so slippery that you had to lift off the throttle a bit. Otherwise, you just spear off into the pit wall, which was it caught me off guard. I must say the first lap. I, I definitely had a massive oversteer moment onto the main straight there. But, I mean, brands in the wet is just so crazy. The, the craziest thing when you're driving is, you know, when you that, that hill coming out of Paddock Hill going up to Druids, the second corner, when you're driving, that feels like it's perfectly flat. It doesn't feel like you're going up a, like a very steep hill. It's so crazy. <laughs> and it looks like you're going up a wall. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it does. When you're walking it, it, it feels like you're walking up Mount Everest because it's yeah. so steep. But then you get, get in a car and it feels perfectly flat. That was the craziest <laughs> thing that I, I was just, I had to wrap my head about. I'm like, I'm going up a hill. Like, no wonder I'm braking so late in a NASCAR. Um, Amazing. Yeah. So I think it'd be best to talk about, I think, 2022, because I think that's one of the biggest improvement years for Euro NASCAR obviously for me that's what oh, that's what kind of caught my attention as well um so walk me through how that kind of you know into the year you've got Alberta NASCAR coming to the series that obviously brings a massive amount of attention especially from Italy but even across the world because his following is now like 1.1 million I think combined across his YouTube channels so um walk me through the kind of uh the, the years like 2021 uh, 2022, obviously you had big names like Jacques Villeneuve, now you have Alberto Nazca. And what's the kind of future progression looking like for Euro Nazca? Oh, that's interesting because I can only tell my own opinion, of course, um, and my own feeling there. But in 2021, like you said, we already had big names in the series like Jacques Villeneuve, Bobby Labonte, but also in the past, uh, even the football players from Spain were driving one race off and um, other race car drivers, you know, even from Germany, we had some bigger names from GT racing, some French guys, Italian guys, and so on. Alberto Nasca, very interesting because now you can reduce him to be a content creator, bring a lot of fans, but I think this guy is an amazing race car driver. First of all, he was amazing in 2022, being runner-up in the Euronasca 2, lost the championship battle to Liam Hazemans in the very last race of the season. And of course, he brought a lot of fans, a lot of Italian fans. We see this also on the chat, on the YouTube live streaming, that there's a lot of Italian people commentating. So I have to improve my Italian a little bit. But um, yeah, it's very important that we have people like him because he's telling the story. The story about what Euronasca is all about. And this is what I really like. If a race car driver can be fast, a race car driver can win any races, but as long as he's quite boring or does not interact somehow with the fans, okay, he has a success in the sport, but he will not have success anywhere else. So Alberto Nasca is combining two very interesting key points. And this is that he's telling the story and educate people about what we're doing and he's bringing new people in. And on the other side, he's a very fast driver. So it's not only about his content. It's He's he's a really good guy that is able to win a championship. And this means um, we have to take him very serious. Also, when he, of, of, of course, I hope, one day steps up to UNESCO Pro because 
I think this will boost also the pro series a little bit more. He's now racing again in UNESCO 2. And you see also that he has a lot of work to do because Vladimir Tsotsis with four wins so far, he's leading the championship. And Alberto Nazca is again just second behind. So he needs to step up and find more ways with Carl Racing to beat this Cypriot guy. And he is taking the fans on that journey. He's taking their hands, telling exactly what's going on, why everything happens from his perspective. And of course, because he's a content creator and he's working in this media YouTube world a long time, you see he knows exactly what he's doing. And I'm really, really open to also learn from him because he has a different role as a content creator. And I think when we listen to him, we can also improve the product and things we're doing. And also he's learning a lot of things from a international racing series standpoint. So it's a win-win situation to work with people like him. And I, we also see that people in the paddock, race car drivers and teams, they are getting inspired by it. And this is the very important thing. We have people now starting creating vlogs, creating shows around Euronesca because they want to show themselves like um, Alberto Nazca is doing. And also they see the potential there to, to connect to the people and also satisfy in the end sponsors. Because in the end, if you show yourself in a very good way, you connect to the people and you have a, a, an audience, a very, very um, passionate audience, then you have a very, very good um, tool to bring in sponsors. So I think the whole development with bringing in a content creator that is really, really fast and a serious race car driver was one of the key factors in the last year to improve, of course, our reach. And I think also that a lot of those fans, Alberto Nazca fans, they are not only watching the Euronazca 2 now, they are also looking around in Euronazca Pro, finding other drivers and also enjoying the show there because we saw that the numbers increased everywhere. So I'm really happy to have people like this, but also um, young guys joining with a new perspective, trying something different like this podcast. I think we never had a Euronazca driver before with a podcast like this. So this is another way to engage to people. And I really like this as well. Yeah, awesome. I mean, I've, I've like the the craziest thing is with Mar uh, with Marco Stipp. I've done like it feels like their entire team because I've done Sh Sh Nick Schneider. Yeah, I've done Alessandro, um, and I've done Thomas uh, Crisonis. So it feels like basically I've done their whole team. It's pretty funny. That's the inside joke we have with them is I've just done a podcast of their whole team. But yeah, that I mean that's the approach we're taking as well as for media and like the kind of show that we're filming ish behind the scenes is we started in australia doing it obviously australia is a much smaller level um and basically our plan was to find a series that's big has a lot of audience to make a, uh you know to film a proper show displaying what the path of the podium what racing really is because on the track yeah that's nice and fun but it's what happens off the track that really matters yeah And I think for the future, it's going to be very interesting because we have different paths now to spread the word what NASCAR and EuroNASCAR is all about. And this is also my personal goal. It's about bringing, uh, to tell people what it's about and that it exists. So if you don't like it, then okay, fine. But first of all, every motorsport fan in Europe should have given EuroNASCAR a chance. And therefore, we need to go out and tell people what we're doing, where we are, how the championship is, where to watch it, how 
cheap it is also also as a fan to get tickets this is also a very interesting thing i always watch the ticket prices and they are really really okay when you compare them to other series and therefore i'm really really happy to, to see that different paths are growing from the paddock from the series side from the us and also from the media so we can really pull together the strings and find ways to make Euronesca even more popular. And yeah, my personal goal, at some point, every motorsport fan in Europe should have made the decision. Do I like it or not? I have no problem when you say stocker racing is not mine. I like Formula One racing more. That's fine. But at least you should have, you need to know it. And this is the goal. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the thing is, right, Formula One, in terms of enjoyment of actually watching it is not a very fun motorsport to watch in comparison to other motorsports. If there was only Formula One, you'd be like, oh, this is awesome. But because you have things like Euro NASCAR, where like in the wet, you can have drivers that can just overtake and there's always something happening. And it's it's in Euro NASCAR, it's never like Formula One where someone catches up and then it, they can't overtake them and then they just drop back. Or there's, you know, there's usually never really a driver that just starts the race well and then just runs away to the end because there's either a safety car that happens, something always happens in Euro NASCAR. Whereas in Formula One, if Max Verstappen gets to the first corner first, he wins the race. So yeah. and I think, yeah, in, in Euro NASCAR, I mean, I think it's because people haven't in Europe especially haven't been exposed to NASCAR and over and that kind of scene really ever. Everything's just kind of been Formula One. But as soon as you give Euro NASCAR a chance you kind of just realize like, wow, what I've been kind of watching the past 20 years has been really boring compared to this. Yeah. And interesting is also that Euronesca has the ability to build a bridge over to the US, not only for fans, but also for the drivers and teams. So if you're a young driver uh, trying to find a way to build a career in motorsports, Euronesca may be in the future a very, very good chance to make it then to the US and step up up to the NASCAR Cup Series. So we are part of the career ladder in, in Euronesca and also brought a lot of people into different series. Our four-time champion, Alon Day, was driving in the Cup Series several races, even on ovals like Richmond. Anthony Kumpen, who is back in Euronesca Pro, was in Daytona. We had a lot of young drivers uh, doing the KNN Pro Series back then, no Arca Series or Truck Series. So there's, it's not a one-way ticket, you know. Not only the Americans come to us or the European, we also bring the Europeans to the US. And also there's an exchange about the passions of the fans because we have a lot of American fans also watching the Euro NASCAR series. Um, we see it on the numbers that the US guys really tune in and like the, what we're doing there. And therefore, we connect people all around the world. And we had, I think it brand such 17 different countries represented on the grid um, among the drivers. When we put the teams in, I think it was 18. And we had even races with more. And when you go around, now you talk to a German guy, but the in the next box, there's going to be an Austrian. Then you have a Japanese uh, driver like Kenko Miura. The next guy is half German, half Brazilian. The next is Italian, French. We have so many people from all around the world. And we're sitting together, having fun, talking to each other, learning also about the cultures from different countries, from different regions in the world. I think this is so much fun. Going to different countries, smell the air of those countries, talking to people 
from so many different parts of the world. It's just yeah, a dream come true, to be honest. When you are at the track, it's not feeling, for me, on the media side, like work. It's like, yeah, being in a big family and learning so much stuff that is also improving how, I, how I'm doing in my private life. It's, it's, a, it's a life lesson, you know, when you go around talking to so many people, even now with you from Australia. Never, never had the chance to talk somebody, to somebody from Australia. Amazing. Yeah, I mean, the, the, most, co the co most common thing people say is that uh, Australians are all crazy, which I love because <laughs> we are. It's so true. That's like the one stereotype which is like the most accurate because you can't really name one Australian driver that isn't crazy or doesn't do crazy <laughs> things or something. So, yeah, I mean, Euronesco is just, I mean, a lot of people that work in motorsport, I would say they don't view it as work because they're doing something they loved and they've always loved it. Whereas in other things, I'm, you know, not everybody wants to go be you know, a banker or whatever. But if you get a chance to go work in a racing series that has like 50,000 fans at a circuit and you get to speak to them, you get to show them what the whole thing is. I'm, I'm not sure many people will dislike that, to be honest. And I think that's what's special about motorsport. It's very difficult to find someone in motorsport that doesn't like it. And I don't want to sound somehow arrogant, but if you see Brand Setch, so many children, so many families coming there, and you're standing there, thousands of people approaching you for the grid walk or for the pit walk in the morning at 9.30, thousands of people coming there. And you know that somehow you're part of the creation process of it. You created some little tools, some little screws of it. Yeah, you're part of the machinery. It's, I'm really proud of it because, um, of course, in the end, I have to make a living out of it. But when you see the families happy there, um, children growing up with motorsports, the next generation is there, maybe race car drivers, maybe mechanics, maybe media guys, maybe f diehard fans, whatever they want to become. And to see the the smiles on their faces, it's just something you, you cannot pay with money. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, and especially also being a driver is you having all those people there just to meet you is pretty cool. Yeah. So that's, yeah. I mean, no, there's only like a few other series that have that, which is Formula One, NASCAR, US, and like maybe DTM. But live fans at DTM don't really show up. It's kind of just their online fans. That's the thing. There's no real other series in Europe that can replicate Euro NASCAR's kind of engagement of live audience. Yeah. But I've been to the DTM, I think, in the early 2000s. It was uh, 2010s. It was amazing with the class one races at uh, Zandvoort. So I'm a, a, a person who's enjoying a lot of uh, different motorsports. For example, from Australia, for the German uh, TV channel I'm working for, I'm doing the Australian Pro MX Championship. I did the Super Bowl Championship and let's, let me think the Off-Road Championship as well. So I see also a lot of Australian racing. By the way, I have to get I get to used a little bit to the accent right now. So it's easier to understand Australian people speaking English because uh, we learn, of course, a little bit more British or American English. Um, but I also enjoy this. It doesn't, you know, racing is, is passion for me. And, um, but Euronesca has this, this, this special spark that really makes so much fun. Yeah. I mean, my accent's like weird. It's a mixture of Australian and English. You probably <laughs> noticed that, but. Australian slang for people that first language isn't English is almost like they're not even speaking like not a language they're just speaking absolute gibberish <laughs> like some alien language like I mean there's so many things I don't even use it properly like my friends always they always make fun of me because I'm 
more English than I am Australian. I use like English words and English stuff for all that. So they they don't even they don't even value me as a true Australian driver. I'm representing their country and they they don't even love me. But that's a, some friendly banter. But yeah, <laughs> nice. I mean it's it's yeah that's yeah. I mean some Australian accents are pretty brutal. I must say, the the more difficult for people not to understand, I think, is New Zealanders Kiwi accents. They're yeah. they're pretty they are pretty tricky even for English speakers. Um, there's the, that's the southern the southern hemisphere rivalries between Australia and New Zealand. That that's some solid banter between them two. I'm really happy that most of the commentators and TV presenters that I have to listen to when I do it in German, they even try they try really hard to be, yeah, some kind of understandable. So everything's fine there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, what what's, what are some key terms you've picked up from Australian commentators? Ah, uh, it's not the terms; it's more like the accent um, that they oh, yeah, sound totally different uh, when they say words. I'm not really good in pretending to to have a Australian accent. I can do the Italian or French better because I grew up with this. When somebody's speaking English as a French or Italian guy, uh, also I try to not sound too much German, but to be honest, people recognize really quickly that I'm from Germany. Um, but I think I'm I'm really trying not to sound too much like this. But um, also, this is also part of the fun because in the media center or in the paddock, you you hear so much, so many different accents in English, and you even can sometimes make a little bit fun of the one or other drivers if they have a funny accent or um, if you want to just fool around a little bit. And this is also again back to the topic: we are a big family there. And even jokes and stuff like this are totally okay, even between people from the series and the drivers and the teams. And that's what I love so much. Yeah. I mean, you just have to change your name to Andy and then they'll stop recognizing <laughs> you as German. Andre is a bit too German. Maybe, maybe. By the way, uh, Andre is, by the way, a French name. So the French organizers, they, of course, totally ah, use my name. It is. Andre. Oh, of yeah, course. I have of an accent, accent aigu over my E. <laughs> yeah, okay. I mean, it's just, yeah. I know too many German people that are called Andre yeah. now. It's just, the, the Germans have taken the name, I think. Yeah. I think you guys win. I mean, I had like a, I had a football coach in Australia. He, he his name was Andre. I've, I've never, the thing is, it's a French name, but you've never met a per French person called Andre. It's... Me neither. Yeah, it's, <laughs> I mean, but there's, that's the thing in Australia. There's no real Australian name. There's, yeah. it's, that's the thing, because it's just, everyone's just got the most like, absurd names down there what's what's a common name? I, I, hmm. I, let's let me think i i, I saw a lot of uh, like caden and stuff like this i i saw a lot of on the entry list like yes some in the, this this area you know caden and yeah caden i saw a lot of caden hayden yeah there's a lot yeah. yes right there's a lot i've got a friend called baden um yeah i think that's the theme of australia is the dense you just put something yeah. before that boom you're australian Yeah, I mean, yeah, Australian accents, it depends where they're from. If they're from New South Wales, it's pretty easy to understand them. Like if they're just from Sydney, that kind of area, super easy. Melbourne as well, like the big cities where they're in civilization, mm -hmm. it's easy to understand. As soon as they move away from civilization, they go like full, full-blown Aussie everything. They just go like a different language almost. The only thing I fear about being in Australia at some point because I really want to visit Bathurst at some point in my life as long as I don't get killed by any big spider because this is a stereotype we have everything living in Australia wants to kill you the, the, it's the small ones that get you trust me uh, uh, amazing the, the, the big <laughs> ones are the scariest 
like you might have heard of huntsman spiders. They're mm. about like if you put your hand out, that's about the size of a huntsman. I've had I've had one of those on my foot because I I was playing on my computer. I looked down and there's just a huntsman on my foot. The scariest experience of my life. I am I still suffer from uh, fear from that. That was yeah the worst experience of my life. But the the, the worst of the uh, the funnel webs. They're like little blacks. They're like not little, but they're they're smallish black spiders, and they are absolute killers. I mean. It takes, I think, like 30 minutes to kill you once you get bitten by one of those. So that's a game over. Can we yeah. b uh, build Bathurst uh, somewhere else, please, again? <laughs> the, the scariest thing about Bathurst is the kangaroos. That's what really gets you. That's going down to <laughs> going 280 down the mountain straight and then a kangaroo just appears in front of you. That's not very fun. But at least they're cute. <laughs> yeah, and they, they they go from cute to just disintegrated very very quickly. Yeah. I mean, but the, the big thing about kangaroos is they don't actually like explode like other animals. Like in most things, they just go pop. But kangaroos, they absolutely destroy race cars. I don't know what's about them. Like kangaroos are absolute tanks. Like you'll see videos <laughs> like where they like they jump onto a car, smash the windscreen, destroy the whole car, and then just jump away. I don't know how they do it. They are just they're the scariest animals in Australia. To be honest, they're just <laughs> indestructible. Okay, but if it's a kangaroo, then I'm fine coming to Australia because spiders are my my final enemy. Yeah, I think <laughs> everyone in Australia hates spiders. <laughs> like snakes, they're not too bad. Uh, you can usually get away from snakes, but spiders, man, they just... Ah. And they're fast. There's no real slow spiders in Australia. The worst one is like, they're, they're very cute, but they're like little ones where they jump everywhere. And I don't really, I don't really like that. They always go for your face. They never jump somewhere normal. Yeah, I, I, I'm getting a little bit um, nervous right now because I saw, see a spider in the in the corner of my room here, but it's a small one and they are fine, so they take away the the little mosquitoes yeah. here. So I'm really happy with it. I'm friendly. If, if it's over there, I'm over here. We are cool that uh, the spider is living right now in my room, but it stays there. Everything's fine. Yeah. When <laughs> when that huntsman was on my foot, that was, oh my god. That I, and then and then there was like four more of them that came out from under this like like table thing that was like i had to go like full like mortal combat and like had my broom i had to defend myself from them because they were like running all four of them at me at the same time oh man oh, i almost i'm getting I almost, scared here. yeah i almost just blew up the whole house i was like come on this is this is not okay anymore i just you you guys have the house now <laughs> that's yeah like racetrack that's why everyone in australia they got the craziest racetracks but they're not scared of it because they when they remember that when they get out of the car they've got to deal with the spiders <laughs> Amazing. Uh, you, you, you know, I really was thinking, when is the time to go to Australia? Right now, I, th I say never. <laughs> the best time is actually in the summertime. Okay. Because when, it's, when it gets wet, all the spiders go inside the houses. No matter what they are, they go under the houses and everything. So when it's really dry, the only, the only thing is when it's like in summer, that means all the snakes are out and about. But snakes, pff, come on. Just, it, it, you just have to... Don't go walking in the bushes and then boom, you're fine. You can just go to the racetracks. Um, Bathurst is crazy though, because it's like literally, it's a public road the whole year, except for like four weeks when you can yeah. race on it. I remember because like the week before I drove at Bathurst, which was the first ever racetrack I drove on, which is, you know, best choice to make, put a put a kid in a race car around Bathurst, is we just, we did like a track walk or like a track drive. We just drove in our normal car around the whole track. And the cops, <laughs> the cops just say, yeah, you... We recommend you go the speed limit, but the speed limit signs. So yeah. you just got to be really fast, <laughs> so they can't catch you. There's the that's the goal. But yeah, Bathurst is just crazy. 
we have we have the Nürnberg Ring. It's just one and a half, two hours away from me, so I can go there into the forest, uh, watch the Nürnberg Ring, the Green Hell, and there are no spiders killing me. So this is a very very big plus for the region I live in, Germany. Yeah, you just have to look. <laughs> you just have to look out for the drunk Germans. They're the yeah, yeah right definitely. There. Yeah, in the twenty four hours of a Nürnberg Ring, they are everywhere. <laughs> Australia is probably worse, to be honest. The funniest thing at Bathurst is that one year they banned bringing more than. I think uh, two cases of beer and two liters of wine. They banned. They banned any more than that. So what people would do is they would go up to the mountain. They would bury the like cases of beer and bottles of wine for the race, and then they'll just dig it up when the race was happening. See, so we need we need those creative people. Yeah, exactly. That's true, <laughs> Aussie. Great. That's how they. That's how they solve stuff. You just mention alcohol to them, and they could do anything. Amazing. <laughs> this is a good idea. <laughs> yeah. If you want to do this, of course. Uh, just um, thinking about in their heads for them it's amazing to create stuff like this yeah. in germany you, you just bring whatever you want so yeah they're like but, engineers but they clean it up. They machine clean it up. Yeah. yeah yeah australia is very good about being clean because there's you get lots of fines from the police if you like litter yeah. or whatever so i mean there's some places people that don't but australia is pretty good about it <laughs> so we went from Euronasca from europe to australia and the fear of spiders nice <laughs> yeah it always it, the thing is you can't escape the fear of spiders no matter what you talk about the fear of spiders remains that's the yeah. that's the tricky part i mean everything about australia is okay just as long as the animals aren't there yeah this is so, also what we know about australia it's it seems to be very beautiful but you have to be aware of all those little crawling and things that are living there trying to yeah. bite you. <laughs> the, the, the scariest thing for me, my biggest fear in Australia, do you know cicadas? Cicadas in America, they call it. It's basically like these, these flying bugs that are a little bit smaller than your fist. And I hate them. They are the, my biggest fear. I would rather touch a spider than touch one of those. Ugh. And they just, because they're super, they're the loudest bug. And but they always fly into my head, and I absolutely hate it. Like, oh, they are that's that was my biggest fear. That's the one thing that will stop me in my tracks. Driving a race car around Bathurst in full sense that's lich that would be my dream compared to having to just even just see like the shell of a cicada. So <laughs> that's that's what really got me in Australia. I mean, crocodiles, meh, sharks, meh, spiders, meh, but cicadas, like just a, like a flying harmless, but well, they're not harmless because they hit you pretty hard, but literally, they can't. They, they don't do anything to you. The worst they think is they pee on you, which is a bit annoying. No. But okay. yeah, but it's just like water. It's not actually, yeah, but I just hate <laughs> them. I mean, um, it's just, that's average Australian experiences. It's just having giant bugs flying into your face. Yeah, I, I'm going to Google them a little bit later when I'm downstairs in my living room with my yeah. with my wife and I just show her uh, some pictures of that. By the way, Brent said story that I totally forgot to tell. Um, you saw it. In 2019, before the pandemic was there, I even proposed to my girlfriend at Brand Sessions. She's never said yes. She just took the ring and we are married by now. But I did it at Brand Sessions because it was amazing there. It was. She's a racing maniac bec uh, too because she met my, me when I was 16. She was 14. So it was really, really easy to drive her into Euronasca um, Motorsports. Yeah, just <laughs> add, add an extra fan to Euronasca. Too easy. Yeah. And um, we already have a, a little daughter. She already was at a racetrack. So, see n now two fans you got for Euronesca. Yeah, just like that. Too easy. <laughs> I mean, yeah, the, like you should have done it where you had like two Euronesca doing donuts around it. That would have been the, the best <laughs> yes. proposal ever. I've did it uh, on the big on the big building on the camera stand that was on top of everything. You that's know? on that's on the GP paddock, the one on the inside, isn't it? Yes. 
Oh, very nice. Amazing, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Brands Hatch. And she's still here. It's the Brands Hatch effect. <laughs> See? So it worked. It worked. Brands Hatch had the yeah. effect. Awesome. Definitely. Well, unless you want to know any more facts about Australian animals, I think, and if you've got any questions about racing for me, I mean, you've answered all my questions perfectly. And obviously, the path for Euronazca is to just keep expanding. I had one other question. Is yep. is there any rivalry between the different, like, shoot-offs of Nazca? So Nazca... Mexico, Brazil, and Canada. Is there any kind of rivalries to become the most popular? No, not really, because we are talking to the people, we are exchanging our information, our experiences. So it's also there a big family. We also had um, exchange programs with the drivers. So we had Canadian drivers racing in Euronesca, Euronesca drivers in Canada, Mexican drivers over here, and the other way around. We even exchanged with the international series. So um, we all just have one common goal and this is making nascar the best motorsports in the world <laughs> awesome that'd be pretty funny if there was like like they had like a competition between who could be the best but what, uh, I, what I think about is maybe at some point we can do a ra nascar race of champion like all the uh, international champions and the u.s guys uh racing again uh, against each other on a small track or something like this this would be amazing yeah i actually have the best idea you take the top five drivers from each of those different series you put them in mount panorama in a like a euro a, like you do a mixture between all the different cars oh bathurst all-star race that'd be pretty cool though yeah definitely this is a cool idea really cool idea yeah I'll have to I'll have to go talk to NASCAR about this. I have to make sure they they implement this this feature into the series, because you know you you take it to kind of a neutral ground ish. Not for me, but for everyone else, because you go to the craziest track and you go in the craziest cars. So, yeah, I like the idea definitely. Yeah. Okay. Well. Unless you've got any other questions, I mean, you've answered all my questions brilliantly. It's it's been a pleasure having you on the podcast. Um, if, is there anything else if you if you want to ask me or any other questions? No, no, I think I, I'm really good at the moment. But I think uh, we will meet again at Vallelunga in July, and uh, maybe we see each other when we do a live interview for the TV broadcast that we have on YouTube on Euronask, of course, for free there with the live streaming or for the Friday content. So I'm going to look for you, at, at, especially on Friday in free practice, so we can talk at, uh, about being at Vallelunga in Italy. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to win the race to make it a bit easier to find me. Just Yeah, that's yeah. that's true. Victory yeah. Lane is uh, the, the easiest way. Okay, okay, sounds good. <laughs> I'll just, I'll, I'll, put, I'll make sure to put that into the notes to, to make sure to win there. All right. Okay. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's been, um, it's been an absolute pleasure. And uh, yeah, we'll, st we'll stay in touch. Definitely. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Path to the Podium. I'm your host, Max Mason. Listen in next Monday for another dive into the motorsport industry and what it takes to get to the podium. Keep sending it.